the Inspiring Educators Podcast, a space where you can let go, learn, laugh, and be inspired. Let's first begin introductions of our Inspiring Educators. Inspiring Educators, introduce yourselves. Hi, everybody. It's Lila, the Educator Motivator. You can find me at Miss Lila Noor on Twitter at M-S-L-A-I-L-A-N-U-R. This year, I am currently, this is my sixth year teaching. I'm teaching at an all-girls public middle and high school, and I'm also the regional coordinator for CPM for LAUSD, and this is my sixth, sixth or seventh year, I can't even remember now, um, as a master teacher with Math for America Los Angeles. This week, I am thankful for reflection. I've been doing a lot of reflecting about things that have been happening and going on and all these new challenges and obstacles that I've been faced with and how I've been super negative about them and super pessimistic and overwhelmed and just angry mostly. But I'm thankful for the reflection that I've been doing in terms of how I can find the positive spin on it or even um, turn this into like a fun challenge. And I see math as or math puzzles as fun challenges and kind of turning this into that. And I also wrote about it on my blog on thepiesthelimit.com. That's what I'm thankful for. Awesome. Great day. Good people. Uh, Coach Jay here, Jadrian Grimes. You can follow me on Twitter at Jadrian Grimes. That's J-A-D-R-I-E-N-G-R-I-M-E-S. My career path has been a little different. Um, I worked 13 years in the banking slash financial industry, and uh, since March, I've been building a new career in youth development and education. Um, two things I'm grateful for this week are our co-hosts, uh, Dr. Childs and Lila. Um, they're both uh, pillars in their respective professions, doing incredible things for young people and educators alike. So keep inspiring the masses, keep doing what you do, and thank you so much uh, for all the encouraging words that you've shared with me thus far. Thank you, thank you. This is Dr. Christopher James Childs, the academic rock star. I am a mathematics specialist, and I love transforming the field of mathematics education and making it better. This week, I'm thankful just for new opportunities, new opportunities to spread the word of mathematics and spread how mathematics can be used to change the world in which we live. 2019 is gearing up to be an amazing year with some future opportunities, so I'm just grateful for opportunities. Mm -hmm. This week, we have a hot topic. Why are all the Black kids sitting together at lunch? If you walk into any racially mixed high school and you will see black, white, and Latino youth clustered together in their own groups, is this a self-segregation problem to address or a coping strategy? This week, we're going into a topic that every educator deals with, and that's race, and we're going to talk from the context of the cafeteria experience. So I'm going to open up to my amazing co-host. What are your thoughts with the black and brown kids sitting separately from the white kids? for me it was just comfort that's where I felt comfortable being I know that it was either what last week or the week before we talked about dating an educator I, I kind of I'm, I'm a mix two topics here <laughs> you know for me it's about me being able to share my experiences 
as a black woman or back when I was in high school as a black kid um, and being female and black and have people understand what that's like and what that means and not having to explain yourself. I think it's for the, one of the other reasons why um, it'd be difficult for me to ever date somebody that's not within my race, you know, um, it's just a, it's just the comfort of being able to sit with people and talk with people that automatically know what you mean and what you, and understand you and, 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 and they can relate. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's as much negative as we might think it is. I, I don't know. I, th I think it's pretty deep. Like, especially now with the, with the climate and environment we're in, um, I can speak for our country, I guess. Um, I don't know the end all be all, but I think it's pretty, it's, it's weighing heavily on the minds of young people. Um, I heard a young person say um, a little while ago after one of the uh, mass shootings, like they don't mess with the particular race of students based off the simple fact that they're the only ones that are shooting up the schools. And that was an interesting conversation that we had uh, with them. But I, I totally agree. One thing you said, I mean, each race empathizes with each race, I guess, of people. And that's why they do it. It's certain things that a certain demographic has experienced one way and another one has experienced it another way. And they just think that, you know, well, they may butt heads or they just may not agree on certain topics or they just grew up differently or whatever it is. But um, everybody just doesn't rock with everybody. True. I think you made a good point in regards to this certain demographics displaying certain activities or doing certain things. If we think about it in the history of the world, not America of the world, black people have never been quote unquote mass shooters. That's not in our yeah. DNA. When we look at the history of black folk, I'm just say black folk point blank for this episode those things are not in our DNA. Those things have never been a part of who we are and what we believe. And I like how Lila said, said in the beginning, I believe she said it was kind of a coping strategy for people. But when we think about this thing called race, we have to start ex be willing to examine the issues of racial identity, whether you're white, black, or other, to battle this issue of racism. Because as we know, race is essentially a false construct. When you really think about it, how can you define someone based upon their race? Think about that for a minute. What's the definition of a quote-unquote true definition or a scientific definition of a black person? Don't ask me. Mm -mm. No. It, it, it can't be defined. I just know I'm black, but <laughs> I, can't tell you, I can't tell you why I say I mean, because I look black, like I got black. I was about to say, how, how do you know you're black? I don't know. I feel like I fit within the quote-unquote black culture. Um, gotcha. I feel like I got black features that you would see amongst, you know, people who are, then I can't even say that. I'm about to say indigenous to Africa, but then that's a whole other thing. So I can't even say that, but, you know, I just feel like, I don't know, I, I, but then again, that could be a product that's nature versus nurture. Maybe that's just how I was raised to be, as opposed to like, that's how I would have been no matter what. I don't know, stop asking me hard questions. <laughs> I'm with you, okay. Mm -hmm. 
So let's think about this thing called race. And I think it helps us frame the context of sitting together in the cafeteria. Let's think about where did all of humanity start? The original first humans ever to step foot on this earth. Everything started in a culture we call Kemet. Some know it as ancient Egypt, but Kemet is the land of the black. So everybody, all civilizations started there. And when we think about this quote-unquote concept of race, it's, always, it's only based upon the amount of melanin you have. But as people left the culture of Kemet, they put, moved to different parts of the world, their bodies naturally adapted to the climate. So that's how you get, you know, the different skin pigmentations and the different colors. Because if you ever notice, we'll see, we, we'll see someone who maybe look white, but we'll say they're acting black. Or you meet older white people who go through DNA ancestry and they find out they have origins in Africa. It all makes sense because technically you're not acting black when you're white. You're just acting who you know really are of the human race. Mm -hmm. right, let's get a little deep. Let's get a little deep. So at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, we're all one thing. One. Yeah. One thing, one people is literally one blood. But over time, as we the false concept of race was developed, people started to distinguish themselves and delineate themselves. Yeah, because I, I, I feel you as much as you say we are one. That's not how I be feeling, you know. <sighs> which, which side did the race conversation or where did it come from? Like, where did it start like that? The whole race thing. Like, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. Big picture, holistically, it was devised just as a form to, as we're dealing with now, to, to distinguish and separate people, to make people feel as though they are lower class and other people feel as they're higher class. So that's where the whole quote-unquote race concept started. I, I challenge our listeners to check out Jane Elliott. Jane Elliott has done a lot of work on race and race relations. She's an older white woman, but she has some very practical conversations and discussions in regards to race and the false construct of race. So check out Jane Elliott. She's all over YouTube. She's been on Oprah. She's been on different talk shows and her stuff is pretty, it's pretty solid. It's pretty solid and it's practical. So it's not heavy in the research where you get lost, but practicality is concept of race. Mm. so let's let's bring it back to our students going back to students sitting together in the cafeteria Lila said it was a coping strategy what are your thoughts Jadrian when you were in high school or middle school or when you were in schools what do you notice about the kids in the cafeteria sitting together gotcha growing up um, it was kind of split actually um, you had certain um, demographics that would only sit with their demographics and you had um, a lot of us I was actually one of the ones who um, I politic with a lot of different nationalities and people different backgrounds one thing I can say is what brought um, and I grew up in rural South Georgia so you know race runs deep 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 in rural South Georgia um, Chris I'm sure you know you know North Florida Central Florida how that goes but one thing that brought us all together collectively, though, everyone was sports. 
uh, football games, basketball games, baseball games, track meets. To me, playing sports in high school, it just seemed like everyone got along at the games, at the pep rally. And it was only outside of that where there was a, I guess, a racial divide, if you will. Um, now more so um, that I'm older and I'm coaching sports and I'm in schools more often now, I think that's transitioned a little bit now, even more with the sports. I can see a divide in the stands when I look. Even sometimes on the sidelines, I can see a divide. Now, what that's based off of holistically in this day and age, I, I can't pinpoint it. Um, again, I'll hit a point that I hit earlier. You know, it's a lot going on right now in our country. Um, it's not a secret. Um, regardless of what side you're on, um, I would like to think that everyone would want to do right by people. Again, I said I would like to think that everyone would want to do right and be right by people. Because this is a free enterprise society, right? But that doesn't seem to case seem to be the case. I guess it just depends on what your definition of right will be. No pun intended when I say right, but it just depends on what that would look like. Oh, so that's so interesting. So you brought up that within the sport itself, everybody's mixed and mingling. There's really no divide. Outside of that is where the divide comes. What I was going to say is that within my classroom, there is no divide, right? So within the classroom, everybody's sitting with everybody, everybody talks to everybody. You know, you might have your, your group of friends within the class, but then again, everybody ends up interacting with everybody and that divide comes outside. So for me, I kind of think back to my high school math experience, for instance. Um, when I left Detroit, most of the schools I went to were predominantly white. So imagine how I feel, not in most of my classes, but especially my math classes, because I was in higher level classes. So I would literally be the only black person in there. And that was very segregated. That, like that was very isolating for me. I won't say segregated, that was very isolating for me. So after I've been in a classroom for 90 minutes with a bunch of people that, don't quote unquote look like me or may not understand everything about me or who I am. And oftentimes it ended up being that my behaviors were just funny. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to take it. I don't know if it was because I was a funny person or if it was laughable because it was a lack of understanding, but I went from this space that there was nobody else that looked like me. We all knew how to do the same thing. We're there for the same purpose, but there weren't a whole lot of people I could relate with. So as soon as I left there, it was like, let me find a black folk. Because I need, to, I need to decompress. I need to talk about some stuff. And I feel like that ability to move between those, those different situations and those different groups allows you to either be in the classroom and share with your group outside what happened or be outside with your group and share back in the classroom what happened. Either way, like it allows for some, I don't know, some movement or some sharing of ideas for those people who can't be present. Like I end up being the spokesperson or the person who can represent everybody else who's not in this class with me. That's deep. That's deep. Uh, I was looking at this particular article, and one of the things, one of the questions I was asked during the interview, 
Should teachers or principals be concerned when students self-segregate? Should they actively seek to integrate groups? And this goes along the lines with Lila's conversation. And the response was, it is important to create opportunities for young people to have positive interactions across group lines in school. So structuring racially mixed work groups, for example, by using cooperative learning strategies in the classroom can be a very positive thing to do. And that goes along the lines of what Jadrian mentioned in regards to sports. You have people from different backgrounds coming together to work together for a common cause. So for a moment, you in a sense are human race and not the black boys and the white boys, but you're working together for a common cause. You're working cooperatively. It's similar to when we have natural disasters, people are not like, hey, let me get the boat for the white people, the boat for the black people. Like, hey, we need a boat to get out of this flooding situation. But the sad part is, as Lila pointed out, when we leave that, it's kind of like a controlled environment, whether it's a football field or a natural disaster, and then we go back to our separate communities in ways, boom, we're back to what's comfortable for us, what's the norm. And that's whether you're white, black, or brown. It's not, I don't think it's anything wrong with it. Like, and I know everybody feels like it's, it's slightly alarming, but I feel like I spend most of my day not in those settings that are, are segregated. Most of my time is spent in non-segregated areas and communities. So for, I, I don't feel like it should be, I mean, when we talk about these kids in the lunch table, they're spending 30 minutes out of their entire, what, eight, seven, seven, eight hour day within their individual community where they feel comfortable. I don't feel like that's alarming or that's a lot or that's problematic, especially when you see the interactions in other places. Like I, I, I think about the proportion of time spent in your, segre your segregated group as opposed to your diverse group. And it's not proportional at all. Like you, I spend way more time with mixed groups than I do just my black community. And see, for me, it's a little differently. Most of the time in most of my settings, my groups are predominantly white and I'm literally the only, I may be the only black face I see all day. I've been in certain situations in certain cities, in certain schools I've worked with, I've not seen a black face the entire trip or I see one. Sometimes I will purposely go out and just say, hey, where are the black folk at? Just because I'm not around them at all. There's just some of the environments I've been in. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like most of my time is not spent around the people that are black. You know what I mean? Like I might be a few here, a few there, but I, I'm in education. Let's keep it real. This is a predominantly white <laughs> field. Um, predominantly white male, was it male or female? Female. I don't remember the stats, but it's mostly white. Female. Um, you know, and so it's like, I'm not going to get to see a whole lot of black people. And actually you mentioned this there in Chris's um, talk back at CMC South was a couple weeks ago. Like you don't, you don't get to see that in, within those classrooms or as a principal or, you know, as, as the school administrator, like all of those different areas. So I, I think it's fair that I get to spend my spare time or my lunchtime with black people and let me be. I guess mine, especially speaking professionally is a mixture of both of you guys' experiences. I mean, I'm in situations, this is Chris, where I'm the only African-American in the room. 
or only African-American male in the room. Um, and then I may go to another scenario, still in a professional background where we're the majority, but we're all still professionals, you know, doing phenomenal things for great calling. Mm -hmm. So it's a mixture. I think it's just a matter of, you know, how can we bridge a lot of our different philosophies together and merge them together, not even as one, but something huge to where everyone can succeed students educators professionals everybody i think that makes total sense but we also have to look at it through the lens of the white students so we're taking it back to the context of the cafeteria and in this interview a particular quote was made many white students are oblivious to the power of racism and the way that it's operating in society and so when their friends are starting to have encounters with racism they necessarily do not know how to respond. When, when it's never happened to you, it's not going to affect you. And that's what, along with the lines of privilege. Yeah. So it's, as we have these critical conversations and try to break down walls and barriers, it's not going to happen overnight. But I think, especially from the educational standpoint, we can't keep sugarcoating it. Nah. It's time for us to have critical Going beyond, I'm sick of critical conversations, critical talks, critical tweets. I want to see some critical actions to make a change in what we're doing. And that's why I said about that bridge, how I would typically be the only Black person in the class, and I had to be the representative. I had to stand up and represent Black students within that school because it was only 10 of us. You know, and, and the type of things that people were saying and the type of actions that were um, that 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 occurred that did not consider the fact that black people even exist. So I, I think that empowering our students or giving them agency to have those conversations across um, those different environments is 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 part of us being able to create that critical action like chris said instead of just having a critical conversation like let's start standing up and actually giving our kids the power to actually do some of these things that are or create some of these spaces or create some of these movements that we want to see as we think about creating some of these movements and what we want to see what are some of your final thoughts on this topic why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria Oh man, um, I still stand by thinking that it's okay. Um, Cause I guess, you know, I think my part of my problem is that I haven't looked at it from, I, I'm still looking at it from the black perspective. Like it is okay for me to sit with my people. But then again, thinking about the fact that what if I was at a predominantly white institution and I'm just like, you know, it's okay for all the white people to sit together. Um, and my last thought would be, to start thinking about it from everybody's perspective and to really get those different points of view to not only understand it from your particular race or your culture, but to understand how it impacts or affects other races and cultures when you don't integrate. I don't know why I don't like that word. You don't integrate um, with other races and cultures. Culturally, uh, I think it's okay. It's, it's totally cool. Um, to learn about your culture, to do, you know, cultural things, right? That That's what 
the dynamic or the makeup of, of who you are. But I also, in the same sentiment, I feel that it's important um, because I think we're able to learn from, from different perspectives, you know, regardless of, of what it may be. Um, we might can't learn one thing from one race or one person, um, but we may be able to get it from other individuals. Um, so I think we, we should, we need to be open to that sentiment. Absolutely. And I want to end it with this. Everyone needs to check out Beverly Daniel Tatum's book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together? And this is a quote from Beverly Tatum. Educators and students themselves need to explore racial stereotypes, beliefs, and perspectives if classrooms are to become places where equity is valued. We're trying to transform this world, but it's going to start with transforming mindsets and transforming the educational systems in which our students are a part of. Mm -hmm. It's time to have these critical conversations and take it to critical actions. We want to continue this topic on social media. So our listeners, hashtag inspiring educators, reach out to us. Let's continue these conversations of why all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria. We want to hear your thoughts. The good, the bad, the ugly. We want to hear your thoughts. We need to have an authentic conversation in regards to this and create action plans for this. Absolutely. Now, as we transition to our favorite part of the show, which is the inspirational moment. The inspirational moment is designed to motivate you, to inspire you as you continue this critical work of being an educator. This week's inspirational moment is being brought to you by the one and only Jadrian Grimes. Appreciate it, Chris. Uh, I'll be brief. Just basically a reiteration of, of what we've been um, talking about. And it's, I guess, how do we bridge the gap with these different philosophies, with different cultures, with uh, different uh, makeups? physically different backgrounds you know how do we figure out how to come together and also appreciate another's opinion or another's perspective um what i do know is a few things you know i, I think we all need each other uh, we all need different perspectives right it's not just one way to skin a cat as my grandmother used to say it's just not one way to do things we all um need each other everyone has different ideas um, different philosophies, but I think that's what makes us amazing. Um, we live in a free enterprise society. Free enterprise means you're able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. There's opportunities out there for everyone. It's just a matter of of tapping into it. Um, Andrew Young, uh, uh, if you're familiar with the Atlanta area, uh, a, a huge political figure here in Atlanta said, to live in a system of free enterprise and not understanding the rules of free enterprise may just very well be the definition of slavery. So I think that's what we need to, everyone needs to figure out what the free enterprise system looks like. How does it work? What do, what do different opportunities mean for different people? And we all have an opportunity to come together right now. Chris spoke on it earlier, you know, we about creating a common cause. Like I talked about everyone coming together for sporting events. We need to create more common causes or how we can come together and share different philosophies, share different perspectives, because you know what? We only get one shot at this thing called life. We only get to live in this world one time as a physical being. We only get to live on earth one time as a physical being. And we need to create our country and have it be the absolute best country 
and have opportunities to live our best lives day in and day out because there's so many young people that are watching us. They want to emulate every step we take and they want to do everything we do. Our life isn't just about ourselves. It's about creating opportunities for others and more specifically our young people who we are around you know, every day. We may have grew up one way. Um, I grew up in rural South Georgia, um, but one thing, I have a five-year-old nephew um, and I'm creating a life and opportunities to where he won't have to grow up the exact same way that I grew up. And I take pride in doing that. And if we have enough people that could come along, share different perspectives, learn about this free enterprise system that's in America, that's opportunities for all of us. But if we can create more common causes, the world is a huge place. How can we come together? How can we bridge the gap? Um, I know we have holiday weeks and weekends coming up. You're going to be around your families and friends. Um, venture out, you know, even at school every day at the lunchroom table, at um, PTAs, parent-teacher conferences or whatever. Speak to a parent that you never spoke to or a teacher that you never had a conversation with and just hear them out. Let them share their philosophies and figure out how you can add something to um, yourself to help make the world a better place. But how can we bridge the gap? Those are my thoughts. Come on, Pastor. I mean, Coach. <laughs> how, can, how can we bridge the gap? And it's time to bridge the gap. gap. And as Jadron pointed out, he's making the world a better place for his nephew. What are you doing to make this world a better place? What is going to be your legacy? This is the Inspiring Educators Podcast. Check us out every week. We appreciate all of our listeners. Thank you for what you do each and every single day as amazing educators. We'll see you next time. We out. Keep blazing the trail, folks. We out of here. Bye. Yeah. I knew somebody had to hit it. I'm about to say. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Gotta stop that.